Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans. Welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is the podcast where my wife and I discuss horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So we're now through January and the first month of 2021. And it's already been quite a ride, but... uh, (laughs) You know, this month we're moving into a little bit more fun territory. You know, last month was all about the end of the world as we know it, so (laughs) episodes might have been a little bit darker uh, than typical, but... We were in a place. We were in a place. We're still in a place, but we're going to talk about more fun stuff this month, and so you all voted on the theme for this month, and that is, I put a spell on you, magic in horror movies, and we're going to be kicking that off today with... Uh, a film called Spellcaster, which was made in the late 1980s. Uh, they're <laughs> listening to interviews. There seems to be a lot of confusion between people that even worked on the movie of what? whether or not this was shot in 1986 or 1987 or 1988. But it was late 80s, <laughs> and uh, the film didn't release until 1992. Uh, it was a film that was produced by Charles Band, who a lot of you probably know from Full Moon Pictures. Also worked with Empire for a while, where he was doing uh, stuff with Stuart Gordon. Or, or I should say, you know, he made a lot, of, or he helped produce a lot of Stuart Gorn movies. But before we get into that, we have our usual spoiler-free stuff. So as far as releases go this week, and these will all be out by the time you're listening to this, just a couple I wanted to make sure we mentioned. So we did talk about The Funeral Home last week. Uh, so that is now out on VOD. Highly recommend checking that out. Uh, just really quick briefer, it's a film about... Uh, a family who runs a funeral home who is plagued by a evil spirit, and I won't get too much more into that, but but it's a really interesting film. Highly recommend checking it out. Definitely creeped Chris and I out. Yep. <laughs> but as far as stuff goes this week, uh, a film called A Nightmare Wakes will now be on Shudder by the time you're listening. And this is a film that essentially is kind of like a fictional telling of Mary Shelley's creation of Frankenstein and our uh, assistant editor, Caitlin Nelson, reviewed this film, and she absolutely adored it. And you can find her review on KillerHorrorCritic.com. You can also follow Caitlin on Twitter at 24th underscore doctor, and 24th is 24th. But it's a really beautiful film. I think any fan of Mary Shelley's or, or her work should definitely check it out. I can't promise that it will please everybody. Uh, but I know Caitlin's a huge Shelley fan, and she really enjoyed it, so that's good enough for me. <laughs> and then also this week is a film called The Reckoning, which will be out on VOD by the time you're listening. And this is a film. This is the latest film from director Neil Marshall, who did the films Dog Soldiers, The Descent. He did a bunch of Game of Thrones episodes, and this one's essentially takes place in the 1600s during the Great Plague, and when we also had. Uh, the whole witch finder thing going on in the witch trials where 
women were unfairly prosecuted <laughs> and and accused of being witches and basically there was no evidence nope. uh, either way you know ba- you know it was a time period where essentially anyone can just point at a woman and say she's a witch and then everybody would say okay you're a witch and burn her at the stake <laughs> uh pretty awful awful stuff and it, anyway so this film sees a woman who is wrongly accused of being a witch and she's imprisoned and then you know the film's kind of like uh, a witch finder comes in who is basically the goal is to torture her into confessing Ugh. and and it's a lot about her having the will to not confess because you know it, it, it all involves uh, the death of her husband and she refuses to confess to killing him because she didn't kill him the plague killed him and uh, this was reviewed by our critic Amy Luahava, who you can follow at Amy Luahava on Twitter, and that's A M Y L O U A H A V A. But I watched it, but Amy Lou was pretty uh, medium on it, and that's about where I fall as well. It's, okay. it's, you know, it's one of those things of like Neil Marshall's a very talented director. You yeah. know, I think I think any of us who have seen Dog Soldiers or Descent uh, love those movies and and definitely see the potential. And the thing I'll say about The Reckoning is it's a, a, a beautiful-looking film. You know, it's it's well-crafted. Uh, there are some uh, satanic... There is some satanic imagery that looks fantastic. There's even, a, there's even a devil, demon, whatever, that kind of shows up in this movie here and there that just looks incredible. But it, the way I kind of describe this film is if you've ever seen... Speaking of Stuart Gordon, if you've ever seen Stuart Gordon's Pit in the Pendulum... It's kind of like that, but the much softer, quieter, less exciting version. So, oh. <laughs> so if you've never seen The Pit and the Pendulum, you know that movie's essentially a similar plot, only it has Lance Henriksen going at like a, a 30, you know, yeah. not, not just 11. <laughs> he, he goes all the way up with his performance, and that film is just insane and chaotic and gory and just just total insanity. And this one is like the much more attempting to be dramatic and more serious, personal with it, which it works at times. But the thing that I really didn't appreciate about this is, you know, this is a film that's supposed to be about the persecution of women. Yeah. And one mistake that I feel like Marshall makes in this movie is that uh, the female heroine is highly sexualized like Aww. throughout so so it's just it, it stumbles a lot in that territory and it, you know so a lot of elements in it don't quite work well enough yeah. i think for what the message of the film is supposed to be that being said it's still a good film i i still think it's worth watching it does have aside from the issues some good messaging about that period and what women went through mm-hmm. um so i do highly recommend checking it out uh, but all right. So another thing we like to do before we get into the meat of the episode here is uh, every week on Twitter we put a poll up uh, on our Twitter page at Killer from Space uh, just to get your reactions on the movie and what you all think of it. So for Spellcaster, between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on this one? I feel like they either fall on it's fine or never seen it. I'm gonna go with never seen it. Yeah. So never seen it big time. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, so, Never Seen It took it at 66.7%. Um, <laughs> Love It is 9.5%. It's Fine was 19%. And Don't Like It was 4.8%. So, before I get into some of your comments, just really quick. So, what Spellcaster is, this is a film that was directed by 
uh, Rafael Zelinsky, who, who also did a film called Screwballs, which seemed to be one of his more popular ones, either a sequel or two to it as well. Uh, and it was written by Charlie Bogle, which this is his only credited film. And then uh, Dennis Paoli came in to do some rewrites on it. And Dennis Paoli was a guy who worked with Stuart Gordon a lot. So he had a hand in writing Reanimator, From Beyond, Dagon, just a bunch of Gordon oh, films. Shit. Um, so really talented writer. But Spellcaster is essentially about a, a group of teenagers who win a contest to go hang out at a castle with one of their favorite rock stars for a weekend. And during this hangout, there's a contest of a, a million dollar check has been hidden in the castle and whoever's the first one to find it gets to keep it. And it's like <laughs> supposed to be this big publicity stunt for the rock star in her studio and all that. Uh, and the contestants just happen to discover that they have entered a castle, which is being overlooked by we'll just say a dark magician <laughs> who is using his magic to pick them off one by one. So, yep. <laughs> uh, so that's a spoiler free way to say it. So uh, as far as some of your comments go, since this is one that is highly underseen, we didn't really get a lot for this, but uh, at Dami in LA and that's D O M M Y in L A. And again, these are all from Twitter. Uh, says classic 80s B-level Charles Band, a group of strangers in one location with horror comedy prosthetics, a setup of contestants winning a trip to Europe, and a stay in a haunted castle could go two ways. Transylvania 65K or real horror? They did both. <laughs> Fun, weird, will satisfy mid-expectations. <laughs> yeah, I I very much agree with that. This is a fun film, but, you know, it's not amazing. It's not a film. There's a reason why a whole bunch of people haven't seen this film. Yeah. But I, I think that's kind of a bummer because, like, this is a fun film. Like, it's funny and silly. And then when we do have, like, more intense moments, like, the, the gore and the effects in it are pretty awesome. Right. So, yeah, fun mid-level movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, so first of all, what's up, Dami? Dami's a buddy of mine. We talk a lot on Twitter. Um, but no, I completely agree. You know, it's he's he's absolutely right. Like it, it is kind of Transylvania sixty five thousand, <laughs> but with real horror because the movie is goofy and silly, and the premise is you know pretty ridiculous. But uh, but the horror elements of it work really well because yeah. you know John Carl Boucher. I, I probably say that wrong all the time. Um. You know, he he had a hand in the effects for this, and this is the guy who, uh, you know, he's passed away since, so, you know, we miss him, but uh, he's the guy who directed Friday 13th Part 7, had a hand in the effects for Jason there. He's got oh. he's got a long career in just doing incredible effects work, and it shows in this movie. Like, the highlight of Spellcaster is the effects. Yes. I mean, the, the effects in this film are just incredible, and, and we're going to get into some of those as we go here because I don't want to spoil anything for you. But but no, but the horror elements work. Like, there are actually creepy moments in this movie. Yeah. You know, they just possibly get a little undercut by the goofiness <laughs> of the rest of it. But, but like Chris said, it's fun. You know, the two blend together well for, like, you don't go into this movie expecting The Exorcist or Evil Dead. You go in with, like Dami says, mid-expectations. I think mm -hmm. if you go in just expecting to have a fun, goofy time, that's what you're going to get. Exactly. So. <laughs> Uh, so thank you, Dami, for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is uh, Martin, who's a big supporter of ours. This is at mnick1982, and that's M-N-I-C-K-1982. And he just says it is a lot of fun, kind of like burnt offerings blended with late 80s camp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chris, Chris is not familiar with burnt offerings, but I will just say yes, I agree as well. It's... it's 
Uh, it it kind of going along with Tommy's comment there. It's a spooky film. You know, it has sort of this gothic element of it with the castle that it takes place in, which I don't think I mentioned. But but it is very campy as well. You know, oh, this, this so is, campy. This is a Charles Band movie. <laughs> Charles Band could not produce a movie for his life that was not campy. So it's... Oh, but that's the charm of this film. Yeah. Like, is is the camp level of the fact that, like, you know, the plot, there isn't... They do really interesting things with it, but I don't think that there's anything inherently special about the plot. But it, No, not at all. No, <laughs> but it is, like... The, the fun campaigns, and like we've talked about before, the fact that they're able to blend everything so smoothly, I think that's what really shows that this is a product of the 80s, even if it didn't get released till the 90s. Like, this film very much feels 80s. No, for sure. It, it's definitely coming at the cusp of, you know, the campy 80s period where we just, which I really miss, where we just kind of said fuck it with everything and just yeah. <laughs> and just made ridiculous <laughs> horror movies. You know, now now we take things uh, pretty seriously. And and again, I say this all the time. I love what we're doing with the horror genre in terms of we're, we're ha- uh, allowing a lot of new voices to speak up. You know, we're seeing a lot of diversity in horror, which is fantastic. And because of that, you are seeing a lot of serious horror films because, you know, people are finally being given a voice to talk about the issues yeah. that, that they've gone through, you know, which, which horror uh, largely ignored for a very long time. Yep. So... So it's no wonder that you do see these more serious takes because these are people saying, hey, this is the horror that I've lived in my life. You know, listen. Yeah. But if someone it, could give us a campy movie every once in a while, we wouldn't say no. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. so, <laughs> uh, so, so no, it's definitely a fun film. Um, but anyway, thank you, Martin, for the comment. Really appreciate it. So next up, we also like to go over kind of the tagline of the movie and how it relates and what we think of it overall. So uh, the tagline for Spellcaster was he knows what you fear (laughs) (laughs) or there's another one uh which is just as bad uh his magic is evil his spell is deadly his power complete (laughs) what the fuck does that even mean (laughs) i don't know what do you think it means (laughs) i think it means that the people writing the tagline didn't watch the film oh i would disagree with that (laughs) i mean it's not it's not like those don't relate (laughs) I don't know. I, I guess the, the fear one, even that one I have a hard time with because I don't feel like this movie really is about our characters' fears. Um, <sighs> I feel like it's about like their their weaknesses as people and stuff like that, but I don't know if it's really about their fears too much. Except for maybe Cassandra's, um, who's our, our music star. But yeah, the taglines for me are like, whatever. For this movie in... For me with this movie, I like it. It's not a movie that I love, but like I would be really happy putting it on in the background to everything. And it's like we were talking about before, the things that I love about this film are the practical effects. Practical effects are really cool. I really like how they do a lot of I don't want to do any spoilers or anything like that, but I do really like the level of practical effects. When it comes to the rest of the movie, I think the big thing that I do like about this film is this is the cusp of the 80s and so starting in the 90s and especially 2000s we got all those films where they were about shitty characters shitty characters that you hated and you Mm. can't wait until they like got killed off and this one reminds us that you can have terrible characters like people who are not good people that like are still weirdly endearing yeah. You know? Well, cuz they cuz they, they they uh they camp it up. You know, yeah. they 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 camp up the uh, 
how awful the people are, right? Which oh, yeah. is which is a big difference from what you see in later films where people are just straight up mean. And in this movie, they're like they're they're mean to that ridiculous level of like the eighties bully where you just yeah. don't take it seriously because it's so ridiculous, you know? Exactly. So. Like they played up um, you know, nationality stereotypes because we have a, a French girl, um, a vet who very much feels like your stereotypical French girl type of thing, like all pouty and sexy and flirty and everything like that. And there's there's something about these characters that it's really fun to watch them and you're rooting against them, but it's not like you really want to see them horribly murdered from like minute one of meeting them. For sure. So as far as me, like I, you know, the taglines or whatever, these aren't one these aren't really ones <laughs> to sit with me. And and you're right, this movie's not about their fears. It's about something much different, which we'll get into, but you know, the comment I just want to make is, you know, yeah, this this is a fun movie. It's it's fine. Like it's not it's not one that I love love, mm-hmm. uh, but it's one I enjoy. It's one yeah. of those movies that that uh, that I discovered late at night as a kid once, where you just you know you turn on the TV and something randomly pops up and you're like, oh my god, what is this? You know, because because the effects draw you right in once you are introduced to them, and you know, so it, it's great for that. Like it's a really just it's a great late night midnight movie, yeah. right? And the only other thing I really want to say about it here is that, just a fun fact, you know, so this movie was actually, for those of you that don't know, at a certain point, Charles Band actually got sick of trying to work out, you know, paying for sets and stuff like that. So he eventually just actually straight up bought a castle <laughs> uh, to shoot horror films in. And, you know, if you, if you, I, I actually Googled this the other day just to do a little bit of research on it. And you can actually find, like, I found an old, uh, I want to say it was a LA Times uh, article from 1986 that just had uh, one of the producers working with bands saying that they were uh, calling for scripts set in castles, you know, like horror movies set in castles. Because <laughs> they had uh, bought a castle. Right, because they just bought a castle because they're like, fuck it, we're just going to shoot as many movies as we can in this damn castle because now we own it, we can do whatever we want with it. That makes and, sense. Uh, and this was the first film shot in that castle was Spellcaster. Uh, the And then they eventually also shot Castle Freak there as well. So if you watch Castle Freak, oh, shit. That's, that's the same castle. So uh, so I just thought that was kind of fun. I, I love Charles Band for just being like, fuck it, I'm just going to buy a castle and make <laughs> movies there. Because um, I'm one of those people who loves, loves, loves gothic horror uh, and frankly, any horror film set in a castle is enough to intrigue me, you know? So, right. <laughs> uh, and it's something that I wish we could get back to because I would love to see more horror films set in castles. I would love to see, you know, more movies like Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, these big budget gothic yeah. horror movies. I'd love to see more of that. But yeah, I just want to throw that out there for those who didn't know. This was the first Charles Band castle movies. <laughs> and when I, you know, in his castle. But anyway. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back to spoil the crap out of this movie for you. So if you have not seen Spellcaster, it should still be streaming on Tubi. You can check it out there. It's a free service, you know, so just go check it out. Otherwise, we will be right back in a moment to spoil Spellcaster for you. So see you in a sec. If you've been enjoying Killer Horror Critic, please make sure to head to iTunes and leave a review and rating, as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me. Also make sure to check out my Patreon, where you can receive access to exclusive content, such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic. 
thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. All right, welcome back, horror fans, to our episode here on the uh, sort of 1988, 1992, whatever you want to consider it as, <laughs> uh, horror film spellcaster. Uh, so before we go, before we go any further, I'm just going to warn you all again: we're spoiling this, and I also just want to mention I have a horrible headache, and I took two Advil, and I'm drinking it whiskey right now, so. <laughs> And I already start to feel it, so if I if I get loopy in a moment, that's probably why. So. <laughs> that's gonna get weird. So just be prepared for that. Um, so since this month is all about magic and horror and that theme, you know, I just want to start this off with why do you think we like magic and horror? Why why is this a subgenre that draws us? Cause it's fucking awesome. Uh, this is this is my favorite, my second favorite genre after slashers. Um, is it? I don't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, keep in mind that before I was really into horror, I've always been really into fantasy. So this basically mashes up my two favorite genres into one. Makes sense. Um, and honestly, for me personally, I think as um, you know, as a female horror fan, I'm not sure if other people can relate to this. I like fantasy horror because a lot of times that's where I get to see lady villains. Yeah, like, that's where you do see it the most often because it generally revolves around witches. It so. does. <laughs> and like there is a part of me that bums me out that that's how we keep getting female villains and stuff like that. Yeah. But fuck it. If that's the only way that I can get like powerful women fucking shit up, I will 100% take it. I mean, it is frustrating though, right? Where it's like... Nine times out of ten, if you do have a female villain in a horror film, they're one of a few things. They're they're a witch. Yep. They have telekinesis. Yep. <laughs> or they're like a ghost, you know, and that's pretty much it. Like, you never, you, you so rarely see um, a, a, a woman as a horror villain as a slasher or yeah, as a creature. Yeah, <laughs> she who just wants to, like, fuck shit up and, like, murder people. Right. Although I think for me, like, you know. Like, where, where is my Jason Voorhees version of a woman? Oh, <laughs> right? I would fucking kill for a Jason Voorhees slasher. Well, yeah. and that's why I like um, Tragedy Girls so much. Um, cause that's... But see, even that doesn't do it for me because Tragedy Girls is still placing itself. I, I'm not saying the movie doesn't do it for me, yeah. but, but Tragedy Girls is still placing itself in reality whereas jason is very supernatural yeah they they are not fully committing to just having female slasher killers it's not like a straight up slasher right so but no i mean yeah i i I agree i look this the reason i fell in love with the horror genre at such a young age is because to me horror is the most fantastical genre yes you know like you look at sci-fi for example because i'm like every genre has its these, elements these imaginative elements to them right like it, it's all storytelling it's all imagination and but i think like you know when you look at sci-fi for example sci-fi typically deals with very heavy dark themes it, it tends to uh, try to incorporate realism more often yeah. um fantasy is maybe a little bit too light for me at times <laughs> uh <laughs> and 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 horror is just kind of it's like the perfect one that falls right in between where it's like more often than not it's it has the fun super imaginative can go anywhere it wants elements of fantasy but it also has you know, these deeper messages and themes going along like you see with sci-fi movies. And it just, it, it blends the two together 
in just such a way where it's like, as a kid, I just fell in love with it because, you know, as a kid, I, I don't know if it was because I was bullied or whatever, but like, as a kid, I very quickly understood that the world was not this like bubbly, bright, happy yeah. place, right? And so horror films were kind of a way to to deal with that, I guess, you know, where it's like you you see people going up against the evil of the world, exactly. but at the same time, it, it's 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 fantastical and imaginative and and you know <laughs> unbound by reality enough that it never felt too real. Obviously, there are hor lots of horror films that do that, but, mm. <laughs> um, but for the most part, as a kid discovering them, you know, they were just these really great, fantastical movies that just go anywhere they want with the imagination. There are no restrictions in horror movies. Exactly. So, you know, like, horror, you don't watch horror films and go, oh, the that person couldn't actually <laughs> jump through that window and not be scarred, you know, like... Or, or that like, person couldn't actually come back from the dead. Like, shut up. You're watching the wrong genre <laughs> if that's how you think about it. Like, Matt, say uh, that because I specifically say things like that sometimes when we're watching films. Right. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but I don't actually scream for Chris to shut up. No. Um, but anyway, but so, so I think we like magic and horror because, you know, any of us who love this genre, I think a big part of why we love it is the imagination, right? Yeah. And, and the fantasy of it and, frankly, the magic of it. So... These movies that incorporate magic, you know, they're ones that are like Spellcaster, where there really are zero limits to it. Like, you can do whatever you want with these kinds of movies. There are no rules because magic is not a thing that exists in the real world, so... Exactly, and to top it off, like, for me, the, the magic-based horror films are getting back to some of the earliest stories that were told by mankind, like... Again, I loved fairy tales, but when I found out that, like, I was basically getting the sanitized versions, you go and you read the original Brothers Grimm stories. Like, oh, they're you, dark as fuck. They're <laughs> super dark. You read Hans Christian Andersen. You read any of that shit. It's dark. They're morality tales, but, like, they're a much deeper, darker morality than what we get in slashers. I love slashers, but they're basically don't do drugs, don't have sex. Mm. And I like the morality we get in a lot of the fantasy ones because a lot of it comes down to basically don't be a dick or you're going to get fucked beyond me, beyond imagination. And I right. love that. Yeah, so I mean, that's part of it too is that, you know, I feel like these more magical horror films or, or horror films that deal with magical elements... There, there are also more pure morality tales that, yes. and, and and morality tales that actually make sense. You know, like so, like <laughs> I, I've never been a fan of the take that slashers are proposing messages like "don't have sex." You know, yeah. like that 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 I hate that take. That take is so Puritan bullshit <laughs> crap. You know that I just I refuse to accept that, even though that is what a lot of slashers were doing. Um, not intentionally. I no. mean, if you listen to John Carpenter when he made Halloween, that was not <laughs> at all the intention of that movie. But with these magical horror films, they they are purposely often discussing a lot of that. You know, purposely they are often going into these messages of be careful what you wish for. You know, be be warned that if you if you do not think of the consequences of what you think is important you may be punished, you know, yeah. and, and, and they deal with real things, you know, things that actually <laughs> deserve some sort of punishment, like greed and gluttony and all that kind of stuff, you know, like selfishness, like these, <laughs> these awful things 
that are a part of people and these movies are talking about why you should not be that kind of person, right? So- yeah. Like, it's basically if you are a shithead to anybody else, if you're in a magical, if you're in a magical horror film, like, even if you're only a slight shithead, you make one misstep off the path mm. and you are going to get fucked. Some witch is just going to come and snatch you. Some devil's going to curse you. Well, you're going to get stabbed by a unicorn. Right. Like, one of the one of the earliest stories dealing with witches out there, although the name is completely slipping me because I'm an idiot right now, um, and I'm getting buzzed, but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, one of the earliest witch morality tales out there is the one where, with the old woman that comes to the door seeking help and is turned away and it turns out to be a witch who gets vengeance right so (laughs) you're not thinking about beauty and the beast are you maybe i am i don't know (laughs) it's i'm probably thinking of a disney tale but but that's based on like old tales right so it is but but snow yeah going as far back as we can with with these magical horror films like or, or these magical horror tales they're morality issues right i mean all horror is morality based but but these are, are very pure, like, easy-to-understand morality tales. But all right, so all that being said, who do you want to talk about in this movie? Because, speaking of that, you know, we are dealing with a lot of selfish, kind of shitty characters <laughs> in Spellcasters. So uh, who is someone that stands out to you that... Well, so I very much want to talk about Cassandra Castle, who is our, our rock star girl, who is played by Bunty Bailey. I, lo- I didn't even realize until this moment that her last name is Castle. Like, what the fuck? Really? Kinda- <laughs> well, I mean, just what kind of, what the fuck kind of on the nose name is that? <laughs> well, and that's what I feel like is the beauty of Cassandra in this movie. It's why I love her. A, I was bound to love her because her wardrobe is fucking amazing. It's pretty great. And I want everything that she wears in this movie. Um, except for her last outfit. She's not Cassandra anymore in her last outfit, so I don't care about that one. Spoiler. <laughs> We're in spoiler territory. I know, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Cassandra, I feel like, is such an interesting character because everybody else in this movie, they're not, I don't want to say that they're one note, but they're much more straightforward characters. We're watching them be kind of shitty people, but they're being themselves. Yeah, Cassandra's literally like the only character that has multiple she's got layers like she's got shit going on like it was a thing um you know our movie opens up with her music video that she's singing at the castle granted it took me a couple of times to actually understand the words that she's saying in it but you know the song's called passionate crime and that entire music video sets up what Cassandra's dealing with with this entire rest of the film. She's basically setting up that she's in a relationship with somebody that she's loyal to, but she can't talk about anything about it. Um, and it kind of has her twisted around. And then it ends with her in fucking flames. That's mm-hmm. how her music video ends. And, you know, with the way this... Foreshadowing. Movie- <laughs> exactly. Like, this movie is very much set up to, like, write everything Cassandra does off as, well, she's just drunk because she is. She's drunk the entire movie. Like our first time we meet her, she's in the car and she's like, you know, spitting gum out, throwing bottles, drinking straight from her I, vodka. I mean, look, Bun- Bunty Bailey, who plays the character, gets the best role of this movie by far. Like yes. it's, not, it's not even close. No. Like she, <laughs> she, her character is so fun to watch in this movie uh, and honestly, so relatable, you know, like, so, so, I mean, one of who I want to talk about was, was Tom, who's played by Harold Pruitt, and he's the, the brother of our main character, and... Oh, Tom. And, you know, one of the reasons I want to bring up Tom and how it, and how he relates to, uh, Cassandra is, 
You know, to me, Tom is... <laughs> Tom's like the the bad version of a fan, you know? <laughs> where, where something I really don't like about Tom is how, I guess... You know, and I, I don't want anyone to take offense to this if this is how you view any celebrities or anything like that or whatever, but... Um, but how Tom takes this idea of love and twists it to thinking that he loves Cassandra. Yep. To the point where he is obsessed with her. You know, he, like, I mean, his first introduction to her is he's just standing outside her limo staring, staring at, at her. her. Yeah. And, and just talking about how wonderful she is, you know. And, and like, and, and then later on, uh, he's actually telling her, like, I love you. And it's not just because of who you are. I just love you as a person. And I'm just like... No, you don't, Tom. You don't even know this woman. Like, that, that whole scene, like, really kind of, like, skeeves me out a bit. Yeah, totally. And, and, and it's the funny thing about earlier times, you know, compared to now in the 2020s where we're, like, reevaluating the way we look at these things. And, you know, back then, I mean, that kind of thing, I guess, wasn't really seen, at least by filmmakers, as being weird, you know, because they did it all the time. Uh, but, but to me, it's like the, the whole romantic relationship, if you can even call it that, that develops between him and Cassandra is just so off-putting. Cause it's like, you know, this is, I mean, it's obsession. It's not love, yeah. it's obsession. Right. Well, and <laughs> it's not only obsession, but it's also Tom kind of gaslighting what can Cassandra's trying to tell him because like they end up hooking up and Tom just kind of treats her like she's drunk the entire time. Yeah. Which is creepy <laughs> in which, and of itself. Which which is another thing like good notes for I mean really anybody out there but you know in this case especially men is just like if a woman you know is if you have a moment like a woman with this don't tell her how she feels and don't tell her she doesn't feel a certain way because you because she had a drink like yeah. well and it's this thing where like you know Tommy even has a moment where he's just like oh I'm sorry for taking advantage of you and Cassandra's just like it is a consensual relationship Cassandra's like I'm not drunk and he's just like oh of oh, course you're quiet, not baby <laughs> like and Cassandra's trying to tell him because they're talking about money and Cassandra's trying to tell him like you know, it hasn't been revealed yet that she sold her soul, but she's trying to tell him it's not going to make him happy. He needs to reevaluate what he's thinking. And he's just like, shh, drunky, well, so you don't know is, what you're talking about. Well, so this is why this is why that kind of fandom bothers me, you know, with the because, look, there there is nothing wrong with with admiring uh, someone and, you know, and feeling a connection to them because of the work that they provide, like that, that is absolutely valid, you know. Yeah. But, but I, ju I just don't like Tom phrasing it as he actually loves her because he, he very clearly doesn't. Yeah. And, and it, <laughs> you know, it's the one thing about the movie that bothers me is that it's treated like he does or that they have something <laughs> because you do have the moment where in that scene where they're where it's, I believe they've just made love or whatever, mm -hmm. and or fucked, they if fucked. you want to put it that way. <laughs> um, who says made love anymore? Only idiots <laughs> like me. Um, they fuck, and, <laughs> and, and Tom is saying that bullshit of like, well, I didn't fuck you because of, of who you are. I fucked you because I love you, right? Yeah. 
And then the second he finds the check, he's like, oh, shit. And he like, you know, he might as well like push her off the bed because he has the check now. And it's like, okay, we'll see. There you go, Tom. You never loved her. You loved her success. Yes. You know, so like that. It's always been about the money, Tom. Right. So that's just, that's an element of fandom that bothers me sometimes. It's just like, love the people for who they are. Don't love them for their success. That's the wrong reason to appreciate them. Well, and except that they have agency of their own and humanity of their own. They're their own people. Like, just don't put them up on a pedestal. Right, exactly. You know, it's a lesson. We're going, we're going way too long on this topic. But <laughs> it's a lesson I learned working on film sets a lot is, you know, they're just fucking people. Like, yep. all, all of these people that we admire are just fucking people, guys. Like, they're just, you know... It, 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 before they were successful, you might run into them at fucking Starbucks or something. Like they're yeah. just people, and and on set you learn that immediately because you interact with them and they talk to you like a normal person, exactly. and they're not they're not surrounded by a fucking halo <laughs> and they don't have gold falling out of their ass. They're just people. Just treat them like people, <laughs> you know. So, well, speaking about sets, because you and I both worked on film, and we both did reality. Um, you know, this this whole movie is set up as an MTV type show and competition thing. So what what do you think about them using that as the setup? What I think is MTV was the goddamn devil. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. I <laughs> a lot of you are probably listening to that and being like, How dare you <laughs> disgrace MTV? But look, MTV fucked us up, and we don't realize how bad it fucked us up, you know, because, look, what MTV started as was a good thing. MTV started as... Music videos. Uh, music videos and a platform for musicians, and that's great. That's and awesome. That, that was wonderful, and growing up, like, that was the best to be able to watch these music videos and, you know, actually, like, have these musicians have a platform to do this and to talk about it. Um, oh, great. But then you got My Sweet 16 and Teen Moms. Well, uh, but before that, you got uh, whatever their first reality show was. Oh, The uh, Real World. The Real World. The Real World fucked up humanity. It fucked us all up, people. It, de- <laughs> it destroyed society. You know, because and I, and I seriously mean this. This is not the whiskey talking. <laughs> I actually believe that the real world had a hand in fucking us all up forever because because reality TV fucked us up forever. You know, and I can say that as somebody who worked in reality TV <laughs> for 10 plus years, it sucks. Stop watching it. You know, watch the contest shows. That's fine. You want to watch like uh, how costumes are made or effects are done. You want to watch Drag Race. That's all great. But stop watching the reality shows that are like, <laughs> You know, my, my baby mama's boyfriend or whatever the fuck is out there. I don't care. Just stop watching them because they, they're they fucking melting our brains, you know? So, like, why I do not like the real world and, and what happened after is reality TV shows, they, they, they lifted up shitty people yep. and made us idolize them, you know? Like, with the fucking Kardashians... Why the fuck are the Kardashians relevant? <laughs> They're just fucking stupid assholes who have a stupid asshole show and got popular off of it. Like, why do we care about them? What do they do? What talent do they have? They're nothing. They're fucking assholes. <laughs> Jersey Shore? Why the fuck do we like the people on Jersey Shore? You know? So. Matt, Matt feels very strongly about this. 
I do because we stopped idolizing people that fucking do things that make a difference in the world. And we started idolizing shitheads. <laughs> well, and that's why I think that this setup is perfect for this movie. Like, we're in spoiler territory, so we can talk about the fact that this is... It's the devil. We're dealing with devil's bargains and shit right. like that. Right. And, and this is perfect for that because, look, it used to be, and the devil himself even makes a comment about this, that like his deals used to be more black magic and stuff like that. Um, and it used to be people making deals with the devil for talent. They wanted, they did want fame, but they wanted fame that came with something. They wanted to be rock stars, musicians, all that kind of stuff. And I think the beauty about using this setup with this is, no, humans will sell their soul for so much less. Oh, there's no so beauty much about less. this. this is the, I mean, it's no not beauty, beauty but is... it's the perfection of using this setup for this movie. I mean, look, let's put it, let's put it this way, right? <laughs> the, the Spellcaster is by no means a brilliant script. No. It, not even close. It's no. not even close to being brilliant, all right? But they predicted the shittiness that MTV would develop into and later develop into just a general acceptance of this type of shit, right? You? You know, MTV was the pioneer of reality shows and contests like this, and that eventually became, like, a mainstay in television. And they predict the <laughs> the evil of that, I guess yeah. you could say, because fucking Satan himself... <laughs> Is running MTV by the end of this. Yep. You know, and it's called Rock TV in this, but we obviously know it's a, a spoof of MTV uh, or a play on it, whatever. But, I mean, what does it tell you that the devil himself is running MTV by the end of this? You know, even Charles Band, who you might not think of as a genius, I, I think he's a pretty damn smart producer, yeah. but, but even Charles Band could see where this was all leading us to, you know? Uh, because again, we're, we're, we're letting go of what we should actually be idolizing, mm-hmm. you know, like we should actually be idolizing people like Martin Luther King, people who stand up for human rights, people who, uh, you know, are saying something with their work. Like, you know, as we're recording this, it's George Romero's birthday, Romero always had something to say, uh, with his work that, yeah. that, we, that he was trying to change our perception of the world. Right. We stopped. We started to stop idolizing that sort of thing and start idolizing people just for having money. Yeah. And that that is what this that is what this age started to turn into is we started idolizing people for how wealthy they were, which lo and behold led us to fucking Trump. Who the hell voted for <laughs> Trump because they thought he was a smart person? Nobody. <laughs> they voted for Trump because they admired that he was wealthy, which by the way he didn't even come into. He didn't even earn that wealth. He inherited it. Yeah, no. And, wealth, then, he, and then he blew it all. You know, there's so very like, few wealthy people who actually earn it. Right. So, so to me, I I do love the MTV style setup of this because being a film that's all about uh, the devil and hell and punishment of our sins, it makes perfect fucking sense because. You know, while MTV might have started as something great, it became a shithole of this yep. kind of stuff, right? Um, and it pre- and it predicted like the the you know the awfulness that we were going to come into in beginning to 
you know, idolize this sort of thing and throw people away like they're trash for money like we see Tom do late in the movie, right? Yep. Like, oh, I love you so much, Cassandra. Oh, never mind. Here's a check for a million dollars. Fuck you. <laughs> Meanwhile, Cassandra has $17 million, you fucking asshole. Like, why? <laughs> Forget the check. Marry her. Like, you know, then you can have Cassandra and money. What the fuck is wrong with you? But money, it is a blinding, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, so no, I love that. And I also just want to, you know, aside from the dark theme of this all, I just want to point out, can every horror film start with a, a catchy music video? <laughs> like, God, I, I love, love that. Like, I love this, I love this opening to Spellcaster because it just, it gets you right into the mood of this weird movie it's, with Cassandra's dancing around this castle. <laughs> we just, we need more horror films that have musical elements to it. Because yeah. it's always fun. Like, there's... there's Fuck like, it, let's go Bollywood. Musical moment. Musical yeah. number in every horror film. <laughs> well, I feel like even some of the, like... I don't know, maybe it's Italian horror films that you've shown me before will have, like, a random musical interlude of just, like, nope, now we just have a band playing. Fuck it. Yeah. I mean, obviously not appropriate sometimes. Like, I, I doubt, you know... I doubt it would work if Hereditary suddenly had, like, a musical number during the grandma's funeral or whatever, but... <laughs> No, fuck it. I want a kick line in Hereditary now. Make, that's the next Broadway musical. Hereditary, the Broadway musical. I, I would actually see that. So We've seen so many musical horror films. No, I know, but you very rarely see them done off of like very serious horror movies, you That's know. That's true. So I would just I would just take just take all the most serious horror films and make shitty musicals out of them. I'm still bummed we didn't get to see Silence of the Lambs the musical. Yeah, that's one that I'm bummed out too. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Hereditary, the musical, Midsummer, the musical, every Ari Aster movie, the musical, A24, musicals all around. Yeah, um, let's do it. All right, but anyway, so so speaking of the fact that this is revolving around the devil, uh, what do you think about the fact that it turns out that our quote unquote spellcaster is essentially the devil himself? <laughs> I honestly really loved that. I guess it's not a twist because I have a feeling if you're smart and pick up on clues, you probably already knew it was the devil. I don't don't but, say if you're smart. But you if know, you're, there's plenty of people that probably watch this that don't know that at first. If you're like me and you just take everything at face value and you're patient to find out what the twist is, it was a really nice twist because I honestly thought it was just going to be like a dark wizard or some like magical Dracula or some shit like that. Some, some dude is just like... I just want to invite people to my castle to kill them. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty common trope in horror. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, plus, he, he's got, like, a magic crystal ball and shit. Like, I didn't think it was going to be the devil. I thought it was going to be some weird warlock that was going to, like, I don't know, suck out all their youth so he could stay young forever or some shit like that. Magical yeah, it, Dracula. Yeah, it's a bit of a cheat, I guess, to be talking about this one for I put a spell on you, Magic and Horror Month, but... <laughs> no, he puts spells on people. Plus, it has spell in the name, so it qualifies. True, but but no, I I do love that I do love that element of it because I actually think that there's a lot <laughs> that you know I could be reading too much into with this movie, but that I think is going on that I don't know. I, it's it's hard <laughs> it's hard to put it, it's hard to assume that this that a lot of this was intentional because spellcaster is such a frankly dumb script you know so. but that's the beauty i think with movies like this sometimes is like whether it was intentional or not what we get out of it is valid you haven't even heard what i said yet so. oh, okay. all right fine what are you gonna say um so i mean first of all i just the the more obvious one is i just love that this is like a faustian story with cassandra having made a deal with the devil and sold her soul for a 
musician's career, you know, which mm-hmm. why is it always that? Why is it always music with the devil? I don't I don't I don't get that. Like why is it always Because I think that? to actually make it in the music industry, you need a little extra help. A, a little extra devil yeah. worship. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I love that element of it and I love that we find out that this has been something she's been involved with the entire time. Whether or not that actually feels like it makes sense is a different story, but <laughs> But but and it may, and you know it's fun too when you when you learn the secret of it and you rewatch the music video because yeah you have the burning of right? her in the end she's wearing a very like hellish red mm-hmm. outfit that kind of makes her feel like the devil's bride right she kind of has uh, horns for her her hair accessory right exactly you know so I, I love that element of it but the but this is a really fun film to watch again once you learn the secret of it. Uh, because when you rewatch Spellcaster, you know, the, the clues are there, like from the very beginning and all throughout, you know, because you have, why are you looking at me like that? (laughs) (laughs) I did not pick up on those clues even in a second watching. (laughs) Really? Uh, so, so no, I'm sure you did. Like, cause you mentioned the paintings to me, you know, the paintings are one of the clues. If you watch this movie, there are depictions of hell (laughs) (laughs) hanging on the damn walls all throughout (laughs) to be fair there's also other weird demons and we get zombies none of those have devil associations no but that's what i'm saying but no (laughs) no there is a there is an actual painting of the devil himself in this movie and there are multiple paintings of that and then there's the and there's paintings of demons you know like the every look Go back, if you've seen, which I hope you've seen Spellcaster, if you're at this point in the episode, if you've seen Spellcaster, go back and watch it again and look at every single painting that pops up. Every single painting in this film is either representative of hell or representative of what the characters are facing, either as their sin or their death. You know, so an example is... um, you have you have Rex, who I believe is the the host, the VJ. The, He's very specific. The VJ, you know, <laughs> uh, pr- predictive of Gen of fucking um, oh my god, who Ryan Seacrest and people <laughs> like that. These fucking talentless people that just you know that just host reality shows. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I'm really not a fan of Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> But but he predicted he predicted people yes. like that, right? Uh-huh. So so anyway, you have Rex and in his room, what is the painting on his wall? It's a knight fighting a dragon. He's killed by a knight because the thing that Rex lacks is chivalry. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so like all of these paintings, they're they're predictive of that, and they represent some sort of sin or or hell or whatever. So I, I just really like that when you go back and watch this movie, you know. And another fun thing about it is that uh, when you actually, like, read into these characters and begin to kind of unpack them, frankly, every single character, and they're not all perfect, you know. This is not a great script, so it's not like every character is well done in what they're trying to do. But all of the characters represent one of the deadly sins, one of the seven deadly sins. You know, we have greed, envy, gluttony, pride, lust, wrath, sloth. They're all there. Tom is a sloth. <laughs> he, 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 you know, his first thing he says when he, when he finds a million dollar check, he's like, do you understand? I'll never have to work again. Yep, he, he's a lazy fuck. He doesn't want to, <laughs> he wants to quit school. He just wants his Porsche. Right. And then there's gluttony with, with our, our bigger guy who I forget the name of who. Harlan. 
Harlan, every single scene Harlan's in, he's shoving his face, right? Yep. There's your glutton. You've got Lust with uh with our, which honestly you could kind of attribute to a couple of the girls, which is a flaw in the script. But <laughs> I would say uh, Lust, you'd want to go with Terry. Because Terry's the one, she's the L.A. girl who basically uses men's lust to, like, validate herself, maybe? Right, but you can also put that with pride, too, because yeah. she's very prideful of herself. Or but then pride works into the the huntress girl, right? Who, yeah. Who's so fucking full of herself that she tells people to not follow her because of her superior tracking abilities. Yeah. <laughs> Myrna the English woman. Um, but they're all there. Yeah. All, all the sins are there. Every single one of these characters represents one of these sins. It's debatable on which one each represents. Mm -hmm. Again, partially because the script is not perfect. Yep. <laughs> but they're all there. But and, and then, okay, the last point I'll make on it, because I could ramble about this <laughs> element forever and we can't do that. So, uh, But what I find most interesting about the idea that this is... Uh, that this is like an almost an entrance way into hell, you know, because the these people are being picked off for their sins and being taken to hell yep. uh, after this. One of the things I find most interesting is for every character in the film, they're they're kind of living their dream or or they're living some sort of excitement or they're getting to indulge in their sins or whatever. Mm-hmm. The one character that's actually suffering this entire time is Cassandra. Yes. The reason being, Cassandra has already sold her soul. Yeah. As you find out at the end. So Cassandra is literally in her own hell. Because, <laughs> like we were talking about with Tom before, Cassandra is spending this entire movie dealing with, frankly, the worst part of being famous... Yep. Which is constantly being assaulted by fans. Yep. Well, <laughs> because because you see Cassandra assaulted by not one, not two, but like three different men in this movie. Yep. Uh, who think that just because she's like famous and pretty, they can fuck her. Like, I don't really know. <laughs> it kind of yep. seems to be the theme going on here. Um, but she's dealing with that. It's why she's drunk all the time. She hates this. She hates where she is. She hates that she has to do this. And, and even the zombies that she runs into are just like a metaphor for her hell, which is just being surrounded by people groping at her because of you, who she is, right? Even so. the zombies, like, feel her up. Oh, I mean, they, they fucking strip her, you know, her top off, right? Yep. So. Yeah, I am... Fucking zombies. Uh, for me, it being the devil, it does, it adds that extra layer, which is really cool. But then I'm curious about your feelings because I have very specific feelings about the ending. Um, and I wonder how you feel about the ending and everybody being saved. Hate it. Fuck yeah, it's so stupid, right? <laughs> Look, so... Not to sound pretentious, but the one of the first things that you learn uh, when you're studying, honestly, any kind of writing, but screenwriting in particular, and that's just what I'm focusing on because that's what I studied. Uh, but when you study writing, one of the first things you're... One of the first things you learn is that the it was all a dream ending is the worst possible ending you can have because it invalidates the entire film or yep. the entire story. And it makes everything that happened before that irrelevant, yep. you know? So, so these kinds of endings, like they work for, for certain movies, you know, so not to spoil it, but if you've ever seen the gate, the gate has a similar ending. It works for more, uh, for for younger horror fans, yeah, and, and for more gateway horror films, because 
you know, it, it sort of like lightens the load of the horror and makes it easier, I think, for younger fans to deal with because because if younger fans can accept, you know, it's it's a good morality for younger fans because it kind of teaches some like, hey, if you if you fuck up, it's okay, just do the right thing in the end, and then everything will be all right. You know, like yeah. that's that's a nice thing to kind of learn as a kid. But, but your characters are also set up differently in those films. Sure, but the but the thing the thing with Spellcaster is like. This is not a gateway horror film, you no. know. It's it deal. I mean, it's dealing with rape, gore, like monsters. You know, there are lots of things in here that are not for kids. Yes. Uh, and when you do that kind of ending for a more adult horror film, it just makes me throw my hands up and be like, "No, fuck you, fuck yeah. you." That's not how it works. Like, it's yeah. not, you don't you don't you don't get to have these characters who literally sought no redemption and nope. have them be redeemed. So, like, you have um. You have your your rapist character who I'm already forgetting the name of as Tony. well. Tony. So you have your rapist character Tony, who literally his entire deal is that he sucks. Yeah, you know? he, he <laughs> tries to assault almost every female that's in this movie. He holds one at knife point for a while to like steal money. Like he's the a introdu- horrible, horrible intru- human being. The introduction to his character is that he stole like uh, um, he stole a car, like a Lamborghini or something. I don't I don't remember what kind of car it was, but it's very fancy. Uh, but yeah, that's his introduction. Is he stole a car? He's assaulting women all throughout the movie, and he just gets to be saved because Cassandra made a deal with the devil? Like, yeah. fuck that. Tony should be dead. <laughs> fuck Tony. Tony should be rotting in fucking hell, <laughs> getting spears up his ass, and having the devil make him suck his cock. <laughs> like, you should... <laughs> That's really, really intense, this episode. <laughs> to- Tony, should be, Tony should be receiving every bit of assault that he's ever put on other women, right? Like, he should... Like, women... like. Women should be surrounding him and just fucking him up for eternity. <laughs> I'm not going to uh, disagree with that. There's there's a couple of people I feel like who deserve to come back because I didn't feel like they deserved to die. Like the fucking cameramen. What did they do? They took a paycheck <laughs> and they get killed for it. But see, but see I, I actually kind of disagree a little bit because, I mean, what, yes. What did they do? What did they do to deserve getting blown up? I'm getting there. Give me a second. Um... Well, look, so, I mean, okay, this is this is the film's light commentary, again, on this whole industry, right? I've worked in reality TV. I don't think that I deserve to die because of it. But I will also say that, you know, when you work in reality TV or, or these contest kind of shows, like, I will tell you straight up, there are days where you don't feel good about it. Yeah. You know, there are definitely, like, you did it too. There were yep. days uh, where both Chris and I would come home and we'd be like, I can't believe I'm contributing to this, you yeah. know, because the you see some of the worst sides of humanity working in these shows, you know. So like, I won't talk about the ones we've worked on here. Uh, if, if you know us, you know. But but you work on some of these reality shows, and you just it, it it honestly like it's tough on the soul because you watch all day long people just being the shittiest people they can be to each other. Well, and and by working on the show, it doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter if you're a production assistant or an executive producer. In some way, you're contributing to that, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, it's just a job, and that's a way to justify it. But it's also a job you don't have to take, you know? So but if you want to get into film, sometimes <laughs> you don't have a choice but to make them deal with the devil. <laughs> sure, but, you know, but again, it's still, it still comes down to a choice, right? Yeah. No, one, no one forces you to do it. So, and it's part of the reason that I got out of it because I just couldn't stomach anymore dealing with that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Even even though I'm not the one, you know, perpetuating it and 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 making it the way that it is, I'm still contributing. I'm still working on it, and you don't feel good about it, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, it's like it's like if you're it's like if you're the the I don't know the fucking butler for a mob boss, right? Like you're not the one killing people. You're not the one robbing. You're still helping a goddamn mob boss though. So. <laughs> You know, so it's not like you go home like, man, I feel great about myself that I'm fucking serving this mob boss. Do mob bosses have butlers? I don't fucking know, <laughs> but you get my point. <laughs> yeah. So, so no, so you're right. I mean, yes, the camera woman and the two audio guys and that are killed in the car explosion, <laughs> which is so random. And, and I guess part of the reason for that is because, so those guys that are killed in the car, I, it's my understanding that that was shot on the last day of filming and that they just kind of had to do something and they just really didn't know what to do so they're like all right fuck it we'll just do this <laughs> which is why that scene feels so random but so no they didn't do anything directly but but no i think i do think for the most part the people in this movie do deserve to be punished yeah. because they are they are all committing some kind of you know one of these deadly sins so i definitely agree with you on that i just like to make one other point of cassandra has already sold her soul what the fuck does she have to bargain with Nothing. She just shoots a crystal ball and everything, like, hand waves away. Oh, the ending makes no sense. No. The ending makes no sense. The ending the ending is one of those where, like, I don't know whose brain it came from. You know, like, I don't know if it came from uh, from Bogle's brain or from Paoli's brain or, or even the director's brain. You know, I don't know whose brain this ending came from, but this ending is shit. Yeah. You know, this ending is shit. I, I really enjoy this movie, but this ending sucks. Yes. Uh, because not only is everyone just given a pass mm-hmm. for being the shitty people that they are without learning a damn thing, but yeah, the whole thing with Cassandra, like, it makes no sense. No. What do you mean you you shot the crystal ball and what, like, you internally made a deal to give the devil a reality TV show, which also makes no sense? Yeah. Because it's the fucking devil. I you mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure the devil could do that himself anytime he wants, right? So... Which is a bummer because I... And, 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 and what, the devil's going to give up all of your souls for that? <laughs> yeah, none of it makes sense. And I feel like it's a real bummer because I think that Adam Ant did such a great job of playing the devil. Like, I really liked him as a devil because he's just like this fun, smarmy devil, which is always my favorite type. Like, I don't like the like, oh, I'm big and scary and blah, 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 blah. No, he's a charmer. He's a smoozer. That's what devils do. And Adam well, Ant did it so well. And his well, end is shit. Well, and my other thing too is like, what does our what does our main character Jack even do to deserve like anything? Like, you know, she gets she gets the end of this, and and the devil's just like, congratulations, you made it, and it's, and it, and it's all this Willy Wonka type story, right? Of yeah. like she she like survived somehow and made it to the end, but it's like how. From, she, ju- from just sitting in her room and not doing shit? Like. Ostensibly, <laughs> yeah. She didn't do anything. Well, I would say that Jackie does step up where needed to and does try to show better qualities. Like, she rescues Terry from Tony when he's trying to, like, hold the knife on her. When they find the check, instead of just diving for it and being selfish, she offers to share it with Terry. So she does make certain choices, I think. But she also has that, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory moment where i feel like means that she doesn't win because she touched a statue not supposed to touch shit in here but she touched a statue well as long as she touched in the right place um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right so we gotta start wrapping up so who is your killer idiot of spellcaster oh that's a vet for not noticing that the fucking chair she was sitting in was moving 
That shit's moving for like five minutes before it eats her. It's not even the fact that it's moving. You can hear it creaking and groaning the entire time. <laughs> yeah. And she's just like, no, I am French and I am pissed. I'm not going to pay attention. It's the downfall of the French. You know, they just don't pay attention, I guess. Apparently. <laughs> uh, not being derogatory towards the French. Nope. I do not actually believe that. Um, so <laughs> yeah, my, my idiot is, uh, I, I keep forgetting her goddamn name because she's just such a meaningless character to me. But uh, the hunter girl. Oh, Myrna. Myrna. Uh, yeah, my idiot's Myrna. And it's simply because she makes me think of a saying that, I don't remember where I heard this from, but she makes me think of the saying that the the person who believes that they're the smartest person in the room is often the dumbest person in the room. Yep. You know, and so and so to me, Myrna is that character where like she is so unbelievably full of herself <laughs> with no reason to be. Yeah. You know, like there's nothing about Myrna that is honestly like you know, there, there's nothing about her where I look at her and I go, oh, yes, you you are a smart person. Yep. You know, like there's <laughs> nothing about her that that screams that she screams the dumbest idiot to me. Part of the reason being the contest is to go hunt for million dollars. Yeah, it's not to walk around the house shooting pigs. <laughs> she you didn't know? shoot pigs. She shot Harlan. <laughs> he was still partially human when she shot him. Right, and she's stupid enough to say, oh, well, I couldn't tell it was a pig person. Woman, he was standing on two feet <laughs> in clothing. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean you couldn't see well? That's why she got <laughs> eaten by hounds. Right, because she's a dumb idiot. Yep. <laughs> uh, so murder's my idiot. All right, so what about your killer death? Yeah, is it two cameramen in the car? I fucking How love- is that your kill? That's the worst death It's in the my film. favorite. It makes me laugh every fucking time because it's it makes no sense. They're just in the car and there's that moment where he's just like, we can't find the camera. We're lost. We can't find the castle. We're locked in the car. What else could possibly go wrong? And then they just fucking blow up. It doesn't make any sense and I laugh at it every fucking time. There's a lot of great death scenes, but that one just... It's so fucking funny every time. I mean, it's certainly laughable. Uh, so my, <laughs> mine's gonna go to the the death in the chair with yeah. um with the vet, uh, just because I to me I think that that is the moment that you either become a spellcaster fan or not, you know, yep. because because that that chair death, which is uh, one of the first deaths in the film and and the first example of the practical effects that are going on here. That death of the chair is so cool. Yeah. You know, that that chair is so well made and it coming to life and eating her. And groping her. And groping her a little bit (laughs) as 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 murderous chairs do. Um, you know, like that that for me sealed home that this was a movie that I would remember, you know? Because it's just that moment is so well done, so well crafted, so creepy and weird and you know, just just unbelievable that like that that was a moment where i was like okay i i think i like the movie spellcaster yeah <laughs> uh and what about your killer mvp see my killer mvp is the chair the chair itself the chair itself i mean look the practical effects for it are so cool the way like there had to be a human inside of it moving it but like the way that they engineered the chair to like move and creak and the snout to grow and the eyes everything about that chair is so fucking cool that, yeah, it's my killer MVP. Yeah, I mean, my MVP goes to the one who made the chair. Which is, <laughs> it's uh, teamwork. It's John Carl Buechler. Uh, I, I always feel like I say his name wrong, but um, 
But no, yeah, it's John Carl. Like his, his effects in this, like, so obviously Carl's working with the team. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of people that go into designing these things, but you know, a lot of the design and, and whatever came from John Carl Buchler and, and you can see the talent in the effects with this, you know, like I, I, I shiver to think of what this film might've been with a lesser effects artist. Yes. <laughs> Well, uh, we wouldn't but, be talking about it. Probably not, but because of his contributions, I think that this film really stands out as being one that, at the very least, you have to watch as a horror fan to to see some of this stuff because they go all out in this movie. I mean, you've got you've got the killer lion chair, you've got like demon dogs, you've got pig people, you have actual oh, demons. The <laughs> pig transformation is so cool. Right, you've got like fucking weird worm things that fly out of suits of armor you have zombies i mean they for a low budget film they just they went all out with the effects and they all look great yes you know like i doubt that they were working with a lot of money for those but they look fantastic so so no that's my mvp i i would not even i would not have a second thought about spellcaster if it wasn't for the effects in it so exactly. <laughs> all right so that's, that's gonna do it for us on spellcaster so uh, we're going to be moving into our Patreon content now where we're going to talk about exactly how we think these characters are being tested because we find out they're kind of being tested. But, you know, we're going to talk, about, on how that's talk about, yeah. we're about how that's actually working in this film because it's not yeah. exactly clear. Uh, so we're going to talk about that and how effective it is. And we're also going to discuss uh, what we think the film's ultimate commentary on greed is and get a little bit more into that. So if you'd like to hear that, just go to patreon.com slash critic for just a dollar a month. You get access to all of our additional bonus content. Uh, we also have uh, bonus episodes available, uh, lists on upcoming releases that you should check out, voting for each episode and what we should and what we're talking about each month. So if you'd like to contribute to us, just please go to patreon.com slash Kill Horror Critic. Every dollar helps pay for the podcast and our writers that are working really hard at killerhorrorcritic.com. You know, we, we cannot do this without Patreon and, and patrons. So just thank you so much to anyone who does contribute to us. Um, and honestly, to all of you who listen, you know, we, we just yeah. appreciate you being here with us. Um, I also want to give a shout out to our killer members uh, on Patreon, uh, Ben Scouten, Michael Campbell, Martin Anchetta, Seth Vermont, Kelsey Lynn, and our new Patreon, uh, or, and our new patron, uh, John Reed Adams. Just thank you so much to, to all of you to, and for all the work that you do and help keeping us going. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about, of course, the classic which film, I guess, The Craft. <laughs> Woo! Uh, we're going to be talking about that, and uh, I, I'm very excited to talk about that because I fucking love The Craft. Um, <laughs> but that's going to do it for us on Spellcaster. So, I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a good night, horror fans. We'll see you next week. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, Please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. 